Welcome to the Industry and Parliament Trust University of Warwick Policy Series. These events are an opportunity for policymakers and business leaders to discuss issues that are high on the policy agenda and hear about the latest research in the field. This year we'll be discussing topics including cybersecurity, creativity in business and social media. The title of tonight's dinner is The Future of UK Household Food Security. We're delighted to welcome our two speakers, Liz Dowler, Trustee of the Food Ethics Council and Professor of Sociology at the University of Warwick, and Rolly Taplin, Vice President, Specialist Network, Transport Division, DHL Supply Chain. Our Chair for this evening will be Lord Cameron of Dillington, Chair of the Agriculture and Food for Development All-Party Group. I'm going to hand over to Lord Cameron now to discuss the topic of the dinner with our two speakers. Thank you very much. Um, well, I guess my first question is perhaps to Liz. I mean, is there a food security problem in the UK? That's a very good question. I'm not going to talk about the supply side, which obviously a lot of uh, policy research and um, attention has gone into, and that would take up all evening if we talked about that. Let me talk about the demand side, if you like, because I mean, food security is quite a, a contested idea and uh, lots of different definitions and all the rest of it. But I think at the heart of it, um, is that it's not only about availability of food, it's about consumer access to affordable, nutritious and safe food, and also about food system resilience to future significant disruptions and shocks, and also public confidence in that system. And I think on those latter three, we have a way to go, and I think there's been some really nasty jolts in the last few years. I think that's particularly been true on consumer access to affordable, nutritious, safe food. What has taken a lot of people aback, a lot of media people, a lot of general public, is the huge numbers who now go to food banks or free food distribution systems to be fed or to get food for a few days. Now, that, those processes are not new. We've had food banks and we've had free food distribution systems in Britain for many, many years, probably hundreds of years, but certainly in all the time I've been working as an academic, that's been true. What is, I think, unprecedented is the numbers and the ways in which organisations like the Trussell Trust, who enable small local groups, church-based usually, to open food banks, say they are opening new food banks almost weekly, and the number of people to whom they are giving three days' food has doubled in the last year. And that signals something is seriously awry. And what's more, the people to whom they're giving it are not those who I guess the general public might expect to be having tough times. So we're not just talking about people who are long-term unemployed or um, in all kinds of um, indebtedness and problems, although clearly those people have very serious food problems. We're talking about people who have been employed, perhaps suddenly made redundant, or people whose benefits uh, have changed a bit. They may, may be working, but nevertheless, their benefit entitlements changed, and there's a gap. Or people who found themselves, for no, no real reason, very much in debt because their income has gone down quite dramatically in a short space of time, mm -hmm. and they just haven't quite been able to keep up with, you know, all the direct debits and all the rest of it. So, wallop, on come the bank charges, and then suddenly they're deeply in debt. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you very much. So that's the, the, the demand side. Mm -hmm. Roly, what, 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 what would you say are the greatest issues, barriers, um, problems that are facing us on the supply side, both internally and externally, perhaps? What I see in my business, which is the, the food supply chain, moving product from the field into 
food processing and into the retailers is the, the volatility and the resilience of the supply chain of the products being available in the first place with the volatility say of the climate change and poor harvests and it's re resulting in having to source products from a different region and at the moment because of the, the problem with the British harvest is affecting the grain supply we're importing far more and the price of grain is going up and today for example it's at 230 pounds per tonne and that will ricochet all the way through the supply chain to the cost of a loaf of bread. That's how we see it and in many ways is how do we respond to that. And it will also affect of course the livestock production side because most of the farmers depend upon the price of wheat for their feed Absolutely. and Absolutely. So yeah. And although so there's, there's, there's more, to chickens to. more productivity in terms of the output for the grain that the cattle or the poultry consume, they are refining that and getting more kilograms of meat from the, from the livestock and the poultry, but it, it's no substitute for the fact that the grain is, is increasing in price. And is there a, um, an issue in terms of security, because the logistics of the food industry nowadays, um, both from imports and also with food that starts within this country but moves around it at a great rate, is is, is a big is a big issue and therefore I mean is there a, it would one of the big problems of long-term food security be the supply of fuel rather than the supply of food I, I think it's quite complex I think there's the supply of, of energy and the cost oh, of yes. energy I mm. think there's the scarcity of land there's water shortages yeah. those three and I think then you bring in some some technology that will help to actually uh, promote uh, bigger yields and, and the UK has benefited from very high yields say in, in in arable crops, but if you look at say in, in Eastern Europe, it's, it's a very different picture. Yeah. So I think that the, the scarcity of resources and the higher cost of raw materials will continue to drive the price of food up for the consumer. I th the supply chain has a part to play, and it certainly can help reduce some of the costs through collaboration. Mm. But it's it's very difficult to see how that can mitigate that volatility and the cost of the raw materials in the first place. So, do you see um, increasing uh, increasing food prices to be a, to be a, a long term trend, or is it going to be a question of blips? I think from some of the statistics I've seen, it looks as though it's here to stay, and I think that the general public have got to accept that it's going to cost them much more to have the same level of, of nutrition and the same degree of choice that they've enjoyed. I think we've we've been spoiled. Yes, so from your perspective, I mean, is that, yeah. that, that must be quite a worrying Yes, I think issue. it is. I mean, I, I, I think I absolutely agree with <laughs> although it's not my area, I completely agree with the, uh, the, the points that Rowley's been making. I think I'd add in one more, which is a, a big drive both from government, um, international uh, government, uh, and, and from within industry to be more environmentally sustainable as well. And I think that's... That doesn't work against in price necessarily, but there has been a lot of anxiety about whether you can be both green and fair um, in terms of wages within the food system, which are also quite problematic quite often, um, uh, and also uh, reasonably priced, affordable for people. Um, and you will know that there's a lot of research and work going on on that, both within the private sector and I think in the public sector too. So I think this need to be sustainable in every sense is, is also quite a challenge. Um, coming back to people having to pay more for food or being prepared to pay more for food, I think it's a, 
it's quite an interesting issue and I mean very well rehearsed that you know up to about five years ago the average spend was 10 to 11 percent of income although lower income groups always but that is an average isn't I it? Just, I was just going to say it ranges that. from sort of, of course probably one percent for Mr Abramovich yes although he's got quite a large household has, so maybe it's yes. <laughs> up to up to about 16 17 percent but I think now the even even now the uh, proportion of income spent on food is going up of course but what is, as I understand it from the latest figures from DEFRA, for the lowest income households, they can't, they're actually not increasing their proportion of income spent on food because so much of their income has to go on other things. Mm. And what they're doing is cutting back. Um, and they've done quite a bit of recent work, I think, looking at what's happening in, in the lowest quintile, say. So for people who are above the very bottom, that's putting it slightly crudely, uh, what they've begun to do is to trade down, they're buying cheaper products, they're always looking for, you know, the, the special offers and throwing That's away less and so on and so on. There's quite a lot of evidence about that, as, some of which I've contributed to myself, but, you know, I mean, others have found it too. But it's for the people who really are, for whatever reasons, are rock bottom, they can't trade down, they can't yeah. do more than they're already doing. They're already... They have to do kind of something yeah, else. Rhoda, you wanted to come in. Yes, yeah, so it's interesting that, that observation that Elizabeth was making, because mm. what we see in the supply chain is that households these days are consuming more frozen food mm -hmm. at the expense of, chill, of, of chilled fresh yeah. food. There's a definite swing in, in, in the yeah. case of the former. Um, and also people are looking more for more convenience shops so the traditional format of a, of a retail superstore is being replaced now with, with a lot of big retailers investing in convenience stores because the, the consumer is looking for more frequent purchases in smaller quantities because they effectively want to reduce their waste. And the days when you buy a loaf of bread and after you've consumed half of it, you've been it, past. These days people will put it in the freezer and just take it when they need it. Yeah. So that's, that's a different trend we've seen and it puts some interesting stresses in the supply chain, which unless you've got the agility to, to respond to those changes, you end up driving the cost of transportation and storage and handling at, at a kilter. Funnily enough, talking about transportation, I mean, one of the big problems in, in rural part of Britain is actually the fact that everybody really needs a car because the public transport service is so bad. So actually, in order to run a car, people quite often do without lunch, should yep. we say, and, yep. and uh, they, they I, you know, echo what Liz was saying about the fact that you have to make other sacrifices, yes. Yes. Um, and, and food quite often isn't necessarily the... the Food's what you squeeze. What you squeeze, Because, yeah. exactly. I, I mean, putting it at its crudest, if you don't eat a meal, you miss lunch, mm. it's you that suffers, but you can still get to work, or you can mm. get to do whatever it is you have to do. Also, you're not going to be fined for not paying bills or, or suffer any kind of long-term adverse consequences, you think. Yeah. You know, like, if you don't pay your rent, you get thrown out. If you don't yeah. pay your gas electricity, you get cut off. I mean, yes. not, that's a bit extreme, but of course it's what happens to people. Now, I'm not suggesting for a moment we should punish people for not eating. <laughs> I'd far be it from me to say that. But that's, of course, that's a very rational decision on people's part, is to go without food. But, ha but have we yet reached a stage in this country, um, which I know definitely exists in developing countries, 
where both children and adults suffer tr dramatically. They think they're eating a lot of food, but because it's a monotonous diet, they're not getting the right micronutrients, yeah. vitamin A and um, zinc, and so on. Absolutely. Probably one of the key factors. I, I haven't seen a recent nutrition survey, and I actually think one of the challenges we face at the moment is that there's nobody really monitoring this, focused on what's happening to poorer households. Nevertheless, if you look at the latest um, uh, food statistics pocketbook, for instance, from DEFRA, that shows quite clearly that people in the lowest 10% of income, which mm. is quite a broad group, of course, um, that people in that group have cut back significantly, quite markedly, on fruit purchase, vegetable purchase and meat. Now, of course, those working on climate change say, well, we should be eating less meat anyway. But that's, that's a different matter, doing it by choice and perhaps having um, less meat but better from just actually having to scrabble around and live on a few tins. I mean, I... I but meat, as you say, is pretty important, actually. Of course it is, I mean, yeah. Certainly in, in India, I know, if you're only eating rice, yeah. I mean, to have meat, just a small amount of meat once a week, yeah. makes a huge difference. It does to the incidence of cognitive degeneration in children and All kinds so on. Of things. Yeah. And it's also socially, uh, for uh, other than those who are vegetarian who don't eat meat, yes. but I mean our culture aspires yes. to eating yes. meat and so it's also part of feeling you belong and yeah. feeling that you are giving your children that which is appropriate. And I, I know this is anecdotal evidence, and as I say that's partly because there is not a huge else apart from what I've cited. Um, many of the people who run food banks and who run feeding programs, feeding drop-in centres, regularly give stories about parents who have clearly gone without food for several days in order to make sure their children are fed. And uh, there was a recent survey in among teachers in Coventry who said that there's been a marked increase in children coming to school hungry. So they are now providing breakfasts if their school didn't have a breakfast club or if the funding for the breakfast club had dropped, they're now buying the food in order to give the children breakfast. That is an important issue, isn't it? Yes, school sorry. food. Yeah. I mean, not only in this country, but actually throughout Absolutely. the world. And yeah. it is a hugely effective way, A, of making sure that the children are there and B, that they, they're focused and alert. Yeah, they can learn. Um, yes, yeah. exactly. It's a sort of hiding spiral downwards yes, if exactly. you don't get that right. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Good. Well, thank you both very much.